What's up, Red Letter Disciples? It is good to have you. The mission of the Red Letter Disciple podcast is to challenge you to be a greater disciple of Jesus wherever you are, because we believe that when disciples of Jesus step into who they really are, man, it's going to really change the world. And so today we got a great episode. I'll be joined with my co-host, Chris Johnson, in just a moment. But we are continuing in a four-week mini-series in season five, kind of all about how to help disciple Gen Z a huge passion of mine. And we got to reach this next generation. And I believe it's such a pivotal time. And so today I'll be talking with generational expert, Stephen Robertson came out with a book last year called aliens among us, where he drops 10 surprising truths about the next generation that all of us, no matter what age we are, we need to know. And he really helped me reframe a few thoughts I had about Gen Z, especially this one. I don't know if you've heard it like the eight second attention span, Uh, Well, he kind of reframes that. And anyway, I'm not going to spoil it. It's going to be great. You're going to hear that and much more in today's episode. Uh, But first, we want to thank today's sponsor. It's Red Letter Living. We create resources to challenge all people to be greater disciples of Jesus. And one of our free resources is the Red Letter Challenge Assessment. It's 40 questions that only take about seven to 10 minutes to complete. And it's really going to help you because many disciples of Jesus, they want to be great disciples. They just don't know how, don't know what to do, don't know where they're strong and weak and where they can grow in their relationship. And so Red Letter Challenge Assessment was birthed out of a desire to help you really get some great practical next steps on the targets of discipleship that we know are important to Jesus. Targets like being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going. And so in partnership with LifeWay Research, we've commissioned this free assessment that now more than 5,000 people have taken. And again, just seven to 10 minutes, totally free. You're going to get a really great report with some next steps of how you can grow in each of those five target areas. So if that sounds good to you, if you want to be a greater disciple, if you haven't done the assessment yet, go to redletterassessment.com. You can check it out there. So friends, Ladies, gentlemen, women, children, everybody out there, we got a great episode. But if you like Red Letter Disciple, would you do us a huge favor? Would you please, please, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to? And we would love a review as well. Here's what I want you to think about in the review. Just a quick question. Which episode is your favorite and why? That would mean the world to us if you let us know that. Put that review on there. That helps us do what we do. But without further ado, let's do this. Well, on the Red Letter Disciple today, we've got, we're going to have such a fun conversation today. We're bringing Stephen Robertson onto the Red Letter Disciple. Listen to all of this. Stephen Robertson is author, speaker, business leader, consultant, trainer, sports camp director, generational expert, and I heard in a week, he's going to be unemployed. Stephen, what happened, man? <laughs> you got all these titles, and uh, what's happening in a week? <laughs> oh, what a way to begin, man. That's that's interesting, and that's my greatest title, unemployed. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, our journey is changing um, in a week's time, Colleen and I, my wife and I. And so we've taken a step of faith to walk away from everything that is so secure and been so dramatically successful over the last 25 years. Yeah. To say, Lord, um, we want to we want to serve you with everything you've given us. And so we want to come alongside people that want to 
touch this generation in a really powerful and meaningful way and we'll do whatever that takes. So from next Friday, <laughs> unemployed. Thank you, Jesus. There you go. So yeah, what, do you do you know what like what the next what's gonna what's gonna you have any plans or any ideas or any inclinations of what life might look like or yeah. we'll figure it out in a week maybe. <laughs> so the truth is, we we've been really honoring the company we own and the company we work with is an amalgamation of two companies or a merger of two companies, and so for the last you know um, period of summer, we've seen you know close to forty thousand kids had 2,000 seasonal staff. It's been crazy busy. And we've just wanted to really honor them in our transition. So we've been really focused in on that and not on what's coming next. Yeah. Um, but, you know, God's really stirred our hearts. And there are a couple of churches already that have, so our hearts are just to come alongside any faith-based organization or any youth organization, just to share what God truly has kind of given us a download of over the yeah. last 25 years. And, some of it's been really incredibly meaningful, so much so that it's driven our business to be really, really successful. Yeah. And and we've been able to speak around the world and do corporate training. And so um, we've just decided that's what we'll do. And any church or faith-based organization that says, come, we'll go. And we're not going to ask them for anything. And on the, in the flip side of that coin, our plan B, which God, you know, we're not sure how he's going to deal with yet is we said, you know, we'll continue to do corporate training and we'll start to scale that a little bit. And I do quite a lot of keynote speaking, you know, to pay the bills, not trying to say, Lord, we've got a plan in case you don't come through. But I I believe we've been called to the Jew and the Gentile. And Jew to us means, you know, to the faith-based organizations and the Gentile is in the corporate space because he's given us incredible favor in that space. And we really have a message to share with corporate, I was going to say America, but world corporate um, about how to engage better and how to just change the narrative and and just get better fruit. So what does it look like? There's two churches that are really looking at having us come on kind of full-time. I don't really know how to do that. There's a startup business in California that's asking me to be a CEO and run their company. And um, all we want to do is just glorify Jesus and like make an impact, you know, in, in, in a meaningful way, not just in dollars and cents kind of way. Yeah. That's cool, man. And, and for clarity, uh, you, I said a lot of titles there, but your, uh, let's call it day job, at least for the past 20, 25 years, has been running sports camps. Is that right? Um, so yes and no. Sports, <laughs> sports camps is about um, 20% of what we do. We run okay. lots of camps. And so we do partner with you know, teams like the 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets and the Phillies. And I work personally with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so yeah, we run a lot of sports camps. We run a, a, a number of them, but that's not all. We run medical programs and legal programs and business programs and all wow. for, for kids and, um, pre-college kind of experiences as well. So everything from like three to 18, but then we actually run a fantasy camp for the Philadelphia Phillies down in Clearwater, Florida. Hmm. And the oldest competitor there was about 80 or 88 even. So, you know, from cradle to, to. I was going to say grave, but not grave. <laughs> cradle, cradle to Korea. There you go. That's yeah. awesome. So you are living in Philly now, but Stephen, you don't sound like you're from Philadelphia originally. <laughs> Home of the Super Bowl champions, baby. <laughs> Philadelphia we'll, Eagles. We'll and, see. And and hopefully soon to be again. Originally from South Africa, Colleen, my wife and I, and our two kids who were really young at the time, moved from South Africa 
to Philadelphia. We never thought for a second this is where we would spend the rest of our days in America. And since then, we've been to, lived in Philadelphia, but been to probably 40, 41 or two of the 50 states. Yeah. And now, um, you know, that we're unemployed, soon to be, we're saying, Lord, where would you have us? Because it doesn't matter anymore, because we'll go wherever you need. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying just don't send us to Africa because I know what happens when, he, when we say that, right? So I'm saying just don't send us to um, a beach town in South Carolina. Anywhere but there, Lord. Anywhere that's but there. where you want to go. Okay, okay. I see. You're, putting your, you're putting your reverse psychology order in. Right, look, it's going to work. <laughs> so yeah, we, we're originally from South Africa, but lived in Philadelphia and love Philadelphia for the last 20, almost 25 years. And, and you'll keep being an Eagles fan no matter what, what the future holds, it sounds like. Yeah, I work with the Eagles, as I mentioned, and I've grown to love the organization. They, they're just a godly group of people, man. Cool. And um, yeah, so I learned football in Philadelphia. So Eagles are my team, but so are the Sixers, so are the Flyers. So yeah. You know, all the Philly teams are on my teams, right? But they don't have great rugby there. Isn't South, no, South Africans all rugby and cricket, right? Yes, rugby and cricket. So I watch all of those. I watch all sport. So clearly watching all the cricket and rugby, we're about to start the World Cup, Rugby World Cup in a couple of weeks' time. So South Africa, come on, baby. <laughs> and I watch a lot of cricket, especially the Indian Premier League. If we ever talk about baseball and cricket and what – teams and businesses have done i wrote an article about comparing baseball and the indian premier cricket league mm. incredible so yeah good good one we don't see much of that but they've just started sorry for the tangent no you're they've good this started a professional cricket league in america this summer there you six, go six teams and they started playing in texas and then in north carolina i think i think they're going to grow it and the, there's there's a lot of expats in um in America, so they already follow and love cricket. That's cool. I uh, yeah, the person that uh, we handed the keys over to the, be the next lead pastor at my church in Florida that I was at eleven years. Uh, he's a South African and just become a dear friend of mine. And so he was always telling me just about how it, it, you wouldn't know this if uh, without a South African telling you, but just how Im- amazing and important the sports of rugby and cricket are. <laughs> To everyone but America, basically, yeah, and and they're world. they're more important. I mean, they're more popular in number than even some of our American sports, and so much, that's crazy. Much. Yeah, what's different? How, how's it being? I'm, before we jump into gender, generational Z stuff, uh, how how is it different being a disciple in America than it is in South Africa? What what are some main distinctions there? So I was um, literally saved. You know, when people were saved, I was literally saved. If I wasn't saved, I'd be dead or in jail, right? And uh, that was just post-university. Um, so I didn't have a lot of time kind of growing up in the church in South Africa, and I spent okay. more time of it here. But I can tell you, just, you know, off the top of my head, I would say this. Where I live in Philadelphia, um, we searched – don't judge me, Zach. Stop it. I can see it already. We searched 13 years for a church in Philadelphia. Now, God taught us an amazing lesson in that journey, right? Because we wanted to replicate what we had in South Africa, and that wasn't necessarily what yeah. one we needed or two. But eventually we found something. And, and so uh, what I can say about the discipleship journey is that where we live in Philadelphia, people tend to be a lot colder, and relationships are really hard to forge. 
and um, the South African mindset just is so much warmer, generally speaking, than the Philadelphia area. I'm not trying to paint this all over all over the entire United States because I know the Southern states are a little bit more user friendly. It goes with the climate, you know, it really does. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, and so. Yeah, uh, I also just so that's one component. It's just a little bit easier to build relationship, and I feel like discipleship. One of the cruxes of discipleship and anything we'll talk about today is relationship based, and where where there's meaningful relationship, there's trust, there's permission. There's just so much that comes with that, right? And there's there's real um, there's real commitment. So it was just a lot harder to build relationship here that that wasn't with a hook necessarily. Um, compared to what we felt like South Africa. Now, that's also a bit slanted because we grew up there when new people saw so relationship already came a bit more easily. But the yeah. second thing was that I just felt like the American population, generally speaking, when I'm saying that, I'm talking again about Philadelphia, yeah. that we move and sh- shake in, right? i just a, little, a lot less grateful than the population in, in South Africa. And so much so that in 20, maybe 11, we, we stay in a really nice area of Philadelphia and um, our kids are growing up in the schools here and they've lost their South African accent and they've lost everything that we thought we might bring that we held dear from South Africa, right? And so uh, we decided to take them to stay in the Amazon jungle in Peru for a month. And um, we just wanted them to see that there was more to life. And we literally lived in, in the jungle with a, with in, in a village and, um, no one could speak English. No, one could, the Spanish wasn't even. There wasn't even. A, there was a dialect of Spanish. An hour up one of the tributaries where people had never seen white people in their lives. People walking around with no clothes on and machetes. And um, the whole point was just to to show my kids and us as well. Right, we have so much to be grateful for. So the the other thing I, I'm trying to make a point of is that it just feels like they aren't quite as grateful for the amazing life and opportunities that they have here as, as maybe they were in South Africa, which from a discipleship perspective just led to a place where maybe they didn't see quite their need for, for some divine intervention and, and help in their, in their lives and that connection with the father to help establish identity. That's good. Yeah. I remember, I remember Mark Crossman, my South African friend, he, he would talk about, you know, there's poverty exists in both places. Um, and, and, and again, uh, we're just stereotyping, generalizing. There's places yeah, yeah. in Africa that are doing just fine, and then many that aren't. And there's places in America that are doing just fine, and many that aren't. Yeah. Uh, but, but he said overall, there there is uh, a real like a financial, uh, material wealth uh, poverty in South Africa more so than America. But here, the deeper poverty is just a spiritual poverty, uh, and and it's there's so much possession and material wealth here that it can actually be harder to do ministry because I think to what you were just saying, like there's, we just expect it. We're, 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 we're not grateful. And when you have success, like you don't need God as much. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, a huge thing. You know what I was thinking the other day is, uh, you know, planning out sermon series for the next year. And, and I just don't hear a lot of sermon series on how to handle success. Well, mm. <laughs> because I think character really shows in not just, suffering, which it does, but also in success. And you see a lot of biblical examples of successful people that just, ah, so is, is that, would you say that's true? Like there's a, a sense of spiritual poverty here that, that is really hard to get in when, when materials and things are going again, collectively so well. Yeah, that's exactly. It's much more eloquently said than I did, but no. that's exactly the point I was trying to make. Yeah, exactly that. 
Yeah, that's good. Well, I also just learned from you that if you want to be a greater disciple, just go to where there's better weather. So that, that was also the Yeah. And who knows where that is these days, right? Our weather's a mess. So that True. could be anywhere. That's a good point. We could get on to a much longer conversation with just that. I know, so, right? Cool, man. I, I want to know then, because I, I the first time I met you, like I just, it's oozing from you, your passion to reach the next generation. Uh, you wrote a book called Aliens Among Us, which I'm going to get to in a moment where you talk about all these uh, 10 surprising truths that uh, we need to know about Gen Z. And so I want to unpack that. But first, like, where does the passion uh, before the book, there's been these camps, there's been, you, you know, working with three to 18 year olds primarily, like where's the passion for the young generation coming from? So that's a two part story. The one is is embarrassing. The other one is not so embarrassing. The embarrassing we one is... the embarrassing one on this podcast. <laughs> I've come to please. Okay. There you go. So uh, the embarrassing part is um, I have no interest in the next generation other than to make money from them, right? Mm. And in order to make money from them, I really have to understand and know who they are. My business success is built on... on tens of thousands of students coming from more than a hundred countries around the world to spend their wow. summer in all these different universities and campuses that we run on. And so I don't care about them at all. All I care about is they show up and pay me lots of money. Right. And I'm saying that tongue in cheek, that's not truly who I am. Okay. But out of that, what was born was, um, just a real deep dive in trying to understand who they are. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Ender's Game. Ender's, it's a great movie. See it, okay? And so I won't... Ender's Game? Ender's. E -E -E -E. Ender's Game, okay. Yeah, sorry, it's an accent thing. <laughs> Ender's Game. How, how's that for my Texas? Ender's <laughs> Game. Um, and so there's a whole thing to save the world from this alien invasion. And there's a line in the movie where this young guy, I forget his name is Ender. He, he basically comes down to earth and he's hanging out with his sister for a second before he's now going to go and save the world. And he's just confiding in her saying that, you know what you recognize when you truly study your enemy in order to defeat them. Right. Um, and he, uh, then you truly once you understand them to that degree, you end up loving them because now you know them, right? Mm -hmm. And so what ended up happening in this journey of truly knowing Gen Z um, and seeing thousands of them come and visit us every single year, I just started to recognize the hopelessness, the, the challenges they were navigating um, and how desperate they were. We had some, we've had some incredibly influential names and families and entourages and bodyguards and people who the who's who and we've had somebody that isn't like that and 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 the one consistent theme was that this is a generation that is just really struggling in so many ways on so many levels um challenged with so many things and and the world isn't necessarily an easy place for them to navigate and so my heart um was really was really broken for this generation and the truth is i've always been i've been a tennis coach i've always been in and around the younger generation truly they energize me i love being with them they are so so call it um naive and and but yet innovative and creative and 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 they, like why not right what, yeah who would all who would ever want to hang out with a bunch of old people over a, a bunch of kids? Nobody, right? Like, so my passion's always been there, but I learned I learned this a whole lot of lessons in trying to align. And this is the truth. What I was saying before, I was trying to be funny. 
I was trying to align my business with the needs of this generation. And in so doing also <clears throat> being in a position to kind of bring them into a space where there's just this atmosphere of love and appreciation and something that's geared for them to serve them for a short period of time to upskill them and to grow them and to send them on their way greater than they came. And that was, that's what's fueled my life, my wife's life, Colleen. We've always been passionate about being around kids and serving with and for them. And so that's what the journeys look like for us. That's cool. So we're going to get into Gen Z specifically in a moment, but for purposes, it kind of get us all on the same page. Can you go through like the, the living generations and the years that make them up and like what makes each generation kind of distinct from the other? Sure. Um, so there's this book I wrote called Aliens Among Us. And you should go like, read that because it tells you all of that. No, I'm teasing. Um, so there are there are seven living generations right now. Yeah. Okay? Um, I'm gonna. I can give you the years, or I can give you the ages. What's easier? Either one. Whatever you pick. Okay. So we started for the oldest, very few of them alive. It's the greatest generation. And they, they named for weird reasons, but greatest generation, uh, about 121 to about 97. In fact, exactly that depending on who's and the greatest influence. And this is what makes a generation, um, is a number of influences, historical, um, factors, a whole lot of different factors, primarily, however, technology, right? Yeah. And so, so you, hang on there. So uh, technology you're saying is the primary factor in what defines generations. So no, but you heard me right. <laughs> it's, it's the primary reason that generations flip. Okay. One generation to another. They're defined by many things. Yeah. So okay. Going on in history. And, but why does one generation change? Why is one generation 15 years, another one? Because there's a technology and a number of other things, but primarily technology, at least that's what I'm going to highlight for you, that changes the way they live life. Interesting. Okay. How they value, how they engage with each other, how they communicate, right? So the greatest generation, call it 120 to 97, not many of them alive, certainly a bunch of them alive. The radio and the television, uh, uh, and the television, no, no, it's not the radio and the television, the radio and the telephone were the two major influences that they didn't have, then they had, and all of a sudden life was different. Think mm. about that for a second, right? Yeah. Next generation is called the silent generation. So they are about nine, of 97 to about 77. Great, the silent generation. The Hoover Dam, certainly in that area, brought electricity to people. You don't have electricity, now you do. Life is different. About Three, four, five years, I forget how long ago, we had two trees fall on our house in a winter storm. No electricity for about three or four or five days, okay? And um, and, and it's winter, and about 4, 4.30, it's dark. And so Colleen and I, we look at each other, and we're like, uh, should we go to bed? Like, what, like, what are you going to do, right? Like, nothing. So no electricity, now you've got electricity, and all of a sudden, everything is different. Then you get the boomers about... Uh, 76 to about 58 years old and the microwave changed their life. Now think about it. Mom's at home cooking all day. Now she isn't. Now she can have a life. Now she can have a brain. Now she can have a job. Now she can get an education. I'm being facetious, but you know that some of that's true, right? Yeah. Stay at home and cook and do whatever. I don't know, right? And then you get the greatest generation, Gen X, 57 <laughs> to about 43 I'm you're, guessing you might fit into that one. I because... just fall into that one. 
and the the personal computer changed the way life was lived there. And then you get, um, so that's Gen X, then you get millennials. So millennials about- Millennials, everything's the millennials problem, right, Stephen? And I'll tell you why. <laughs> You're 42 years old to about 28. So 42 to 28. Now, let me tell you why very quickly. They got the internet. So with the internet came this thing. And we always joke about them as the me generation, as in millennials, millennials. Um, they introduced the selfie. But what's true about this is when this first arrived, this was a toy. Yeah. And because it was a toy, everybody was playing with it. And as a result, selfies. Okay. There's some other things that millennials have done that are incredible. And this has now gone from a toy to a tool. Right. And now... It's, it's something that we, we all use on a day-to-day -day basis. So then, so that's millennials, 42 to about 28, the internet. Then you get Gen Z. They're about 27 to 12 right now. The smartphone, this is what changed their worlds. And then you get alpha, which is about 11 to still being born and artificial intelligence. And so the point about that whole long story is that every generation, there's a technology and a number, number of other things. In my book, I talk about this perfect storm. There's four things that impacted Gen Z that changed who they are and it wires them differently, how they communicate, what they value. Um, just even the, 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 the underlying belly of how life is lived in an area or in the world. And it changes how they live on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, a, and as a result, everything is different. They value things differently. So that's a quick trip. I can tell you two things about this. Millennials were the first generation we studied to such a degree that we knew a lot about them. That's why we, we get so irritated about millennials because <laughs> we spoke about them so much. Why? Because we all of a sudden had this data, which we'd never yeah. had before. And if you know anything about Moore's Law, um, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but Moore's Law is about the doubling time of technology, actually about the microchip or about a capacitor. And at the speed that technology is doubling now, how quickly it's doubling, we may not even, let me say it this way, alpha generation will probably be the last generation that we have so much data about that we can have a conversation. Let me tell you about alpha generation because I believe it's going to flip so quickly after that that we'll never really have enough time to gather data because the oldest alpha is about 11 right right which means the most thing we can say about alpha right now is that they don't like to share their toys because there's not that much data right? right what data do you have on an 11 year old right you can we we've got the smartphone data but they don't buy much yet because it's mom's money like right so with technology flipping so quickly they may well be steve robertson predicts the last generation that we are able to track in this way and see when something dramatic changes. I think by the age, by 2028, when they come of age, when they become 16 and get their driver's licenses, which they won't, by the way, as Jean Twenge says, somebody on your earlier podcast mentioned her um, out of San Diego State, I think. Yeah. Um, they're not going to be driving. And you'll see that we probably just not going to have enough data. And at that point, it's just tracking data on people. And it's not a generational thing so much as it, as it has been over the last seven generations. If, if uh, like technology and the pace just doubles, like I, I'm, I would think we'd have more data than ever than alpha. So why is it we have more data, more data, more data, double, 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 and then there's not as much? So again, you're correct. But what you aren't saying, or I hadn't said yet, maybe more accurately, is that while we'll have more data on everybody incredibly, we are not going to be able to track people in trends based on ages, right? Because remember, generations primarily are 
this generation behaves the same, generally speaking, because they all now have a microwave, mm. right? So you can start to track electricity changed all of these people's behavior. Yeah. We are now going to get into a place where we're going to have incredible data on every single human, yeah. but it's going to be individual data. It's not going to be gotcha. generational data because at that point, the change is going to be so fast, you can't track and or be aware of changes that are happening on any kind of a basis. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we, we've got more personalized, more individual that's going to be harder to find trends and, and similarities and differences. Yeah. And we will, we will still find trends. And remember the main reason data is tracked is so we can sell things to people, right? Yeah. No, seriously, that's what yeah. it is. And so I can serve you better. I'll sell you to you better. I'll, all those things will be right. But um, what you won't find as much, you'll find a trend about people that live in Philadelphia because there's a certain street and there's a river and this and this and this happens in Philadelphia yeah. and they tend to do this and this and this, but you won't find something like we do now with Gen Z, a global statement about everybody between the ages of 27 and 12, this is what they tend to do. Um, you know, you'll you'll find a lot of right-handed people do this and a lot of left-handed. Yeah. I mean, vicious, but, um, yeah. <laughs> and that's already, like, we're seeing that, right? With the algorithms and the you go to all these things and it's got curated content. They know exactly what's designed specifically for you. So even if you are, in my case, a 40-year-old millennial, they know enough about me to know that I'm a 40-year-old millennial that likes X, Y, and Z, as opposed to you know another millennial that may like A, B, and C, right? Yeah. That, I mean, we've already got that. So we're yeah. just more and more of that. Just remember, the only reason these broad statements were and are valuable is because we're trying to understand how to engage with a certain population, right? When you are customized to the CEO of your life level, right, where everybody's in charge of their own life and everybody's somewhat self-directed, which we're moving towards heavily, I don't need those global generalizations. I just need to know what's important about you so that I can coach, train, sell, whatever it is, you better. And so we didn't have technology to the degree that I can – I don't know if you remember when Google Glass first came out. There was yep. this premise of you'd wear this thing. And when I engage with, with Zach, what I could do is look up, look to the left, whatever it was, and everything that I knew about Zach would be there. Oh, okay, so you're married, you got two kids. Oh, how's that new Audi that you bought? All that data would be there, right? I didn't know well, I cool. Right? <laughs> Are you looking into the future? Did I get an Audi? No, <laughs> you're getting an Audi, baby. Come on. Um, <laughs> and, and so we haven't been there, but now we, we're almost there. So now these global trends or these generational trends are not going to be uh, required anymore because I will have what I need on you. And that's the purpose. I want to know what to sell to you, how to lead you, how to manage you, how to engage you, how to motivate you. Well, now I have the data that will help me process that. And then as a result, you'll have an overlaying app that will help you process that and put it into a a smart little neat bow. And you'll be able to say, oh, okay. So in terms of this person, when I want to lead and manage them well, here are things that I can imagine or be aware of. And it helps me lead you well. Yeah, it's good. So yeah, I, I love that your your the way you said that, and and that your work in in Aliens Among Us is just really amazing, uh, where you kind of document these ten truths that are you know surprising truths about Gen Z. So I'd love to yeah, let's dive into the Gen Z aspect. Uh, it's a passion of mine. I've got two boys that are Gen Z age, and uh, you know the more I look into it, you know what they're experiencing, what they're going through. My, my heart just reaches out and empathy builds because like they are dealing with things that we've never 
at, at a pace at least that we didn't, that I didn't deal with only 20 some years ago when I was growing up as a kid. And so it's like, Oh, when you, when you just list it all out of what they're going through, it's like, ah, so I'd love to know then we don't need to get into all 10 cause I want people to buy your book. <laughs> but I do want to dive into a few of them. First though, I want to open it up out of the 10 truths that you wrote about that are surprising. What was the most surprising to you that kind of helped you see this generation and maybe a new lens? So there's more than 10. I just wrote a book on 10 because it's always progress over perfection. <laughs> right. Right. Which is really hard for me to understand because I'm like, wait, before we go to press, no, no, there's more. So I know, right? what, what I would say, there's a couple of real foundational factors, but one of the things that I encounter on a daily basis or, or help people navigate and process on a daily basis is this concept of an eight second filter. Hmm. And, I mean, there's a lot of understanding to do with that. And there's a lot of, of, of if you're trying to engage your own child, if you're trying to engage um, someone who works for you, if you're trying to engage someone from a discipleship perspective. And then um, the interesting thing is this eight-second filter is already, let's say, spread to the degree that we're all operating in this eight-second filter space, not just Gen Z. They were the first. And there's a whole analogy around that. I'm not going to share it now. But um and so what does this what does this really mean? It means that uh, the, the most of the documented data you'll see on it calls it an eight second attention span. But that's kind of derogatory and actually it's wrong because what it implies is that you can focus for eight seconds and then you zone out, which is not accurate at all. It's yeah. not accurate at all. In fact, the human brain is is an amazing thing and we can focus incredibly. The filter is more realistic when you look at this eight seconds is because I take that time to decide whether what you're saying is of value to me that I'll allow it into my curated stream wow. because there is so much content vying for my attention that if I don't filter in some form or fashion, my head will explode. In fact, I'm going to miss opportunities that I'm really interested in because of that. So mm. we've all developed this process of filtering and what this eventually ends up doing, there's pros and cons, right? I say this in my book, if you ever take the time to read it, I say this, I hope more than once, it's not good or bad. It just is, right? Because yeah. we always want to know is it good or bad. It just is. It doesn't matter, right? Whether it's good or bad. What makes it good or bad is how you navigate it, right? So what we have here is we have this, um, if I'm a blue Pub, um, politician, if I'm a red politician, right? The, the the thing most people would say is negative is that I will only let blue or red in. And as a result, I'll never know anything outside of that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's one of the things that happens when you filter what comes in yeah. and into your career, curated stream, right? So it, it maybe narrows your world. But the other thing, which from a Gen Z perspective is incredible, is that when you find an area where they 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 allow something through their filter, then they want to deep dive. So when you strike a chord or a passion in their hearts, like when the kingdom lands, this is a generation that goes after it completely because they have allowed it into their, uh, through their filter, into the curated stream. And now it becomes something that they become passionate about and they deep dive because they want to truly understand. We all have that desire to truly understand, but because it's been funneled in some way, um, that's what happens. And so as a parent, as a leader, as a teacher, as an author, as a speaker, any, any engagement, when you have that in the back of your mind, when that is something that you walk with on a daily basis and you recognize in people, it makes a difference in how you approach situations, how you communicate, how you engage with people. And it makes you recognize that you have to bring value to a relationship. Just showing up because you have credentials is not good enough. And I love that. 
<laughs> if you can't bring value, then don't come, right? And I know that sounds really harsh. I don't mean it in a harsh way, but so that's been a, a real, um, a real truth that I, I see being navigated every single day. Yeah, I, th- I haven't thought about it that much in that perspective, and so that helped me. That that just that even helps me see things a little bit clear there because, you know, typically it is, it is, I've heard the eight second or the seven second or whatever it is, uh, attention span. And, and that I can, I can see now, yeah, that does seem derogatory and it's not true. The what's, what is true is they're looking for value and they're going to decide in eight seconds whether, whether that's valuable or not. And so that's really fascinating to me. And so let's stop demeaning, <laughs> you know, oh, eight second attention. No, it's, they want valuable stuff and they've, got more places than ever to find it yeah and and, yeah. and that, that's i think a huge piece is like there's there's so much more coming at us these days that we kind of have to filter right come on, come make, on. make sense of like my next steps and otherwise i'm gonna get lost in in uh, stuff that i is totally. places i don't need to be and zach you know why i chose that to share with you yeah because every one of us is doing that this is not just Gen Z. The yeah. analogy I use actually is between green and blue, and I'm not going to share it, as I said, because of time. But um, this is something that they were living in first, and they've only lived in that space. They've never lived in a space where that wasn't in place, right? Yeah. The rest of us are slowly living in that space, and there's a number of things that we're having to adapt and ad- adapt to and adopt. This we've already adapted to and adopted, all of us. Just look around. Next time you go anywhere, everybody's eight-second filtering everything they do, every conversation. It's amazing. It's relationship-based. It, it impacts every component of our lives. It really does. That's cool. That's really good. All right. I, I got a few, though, that I want to ask you about to just do, dive a little deeper. Because, again, my, 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 my intent of bringing you on is to help old people like me <laughs> and uh, others to, to understand this generation yeah. more so. Because I think if we're going to – there's such a pivotal generation, I think, for the future of the faith in at least our nation, if not world. And we see all these charts and trends going down in the negative way. And in some ways, I think they could be the most pivotal generation ever no uh, doubt. for the no faith. Doubt. And so rather than demeaning and – uh, being negative, uh, let's un- seek to understand them so we can bring the best out of them and provide opportunities. Because, uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, I want to ask you a couple things. Then, so one of the ten truths is Gen Z is growing up in a world that has never existed before. So, what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, just before I answer that, I want to just say this based on your the comment before you asked that question. Yeah. This billion soul harvest that I've heard so much about, I truly believe they're going to usher it in. And I truly believe that there's a calling on the older generations to, um, for a time such as this, right? I'm actually preaching in a couple of weeks, and that's what God's laid on my heart, to speak to the older generations. This is not a season for you to go lie down and sleep. This is, you think it's fall and it's calm and cooling down and the leaves are falling off the tree. No, no, no. It's time for a harvest, right? And for a time such as this, as you've been prepared, you think we're focusing on Gen Z. Yes, but you're supposed to be doing it as well, right? <laughs> right. So um, the world has never existed like this before. Where we are right now is in, 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 I really believe in the changing of an era. I believe it's a biblical thing. I believe that um, there really is a, a transformative shift in humankind, the way they wired, 
the way they communicate. And I feel like this whole transition of how we live life and what we value and how we do it is now being up, uprooted, right, by this next generation. 52% of the world population is under the age of 30. And 52% of the world's population live life like Gen Z. They're not going to continue to live life like we have. And so this massive shift because of the speed of change um, is what I'm talking about. You know, the even the change from the microwave to the PC or from the Hoover Dam or the radio and the telephone, those were relatively gradual changes. And while they impacted parts of your life, they didn't impact your whole life. Yeah. Where we are now, the forces that I have come to bear on Gen Z and Alpha are completely transformative forces that have changed every component of life. There is nothing that resembles life from a millennial and older anymore. If you take the time to study the data and just look truly at how they see life and how they live life, there is almost nothing that represents the life like we've used to being used to living it. Now, you can always say, oh, well, well, yes, I know. But if you look deep, you'll see what I'm saying. And so as a result, they are truly the ones that are living life on this planet in the way it's going to be lived. And the challenge then is for us, older generations, to figure out now how do we stay relevant and how do we stay connected and how do we stay plugged into this world because they are the ones that are determining what is of value, how it's how it's bought, how it's sold, when it's bought. Every, actually, every component they're determining. They don't know that. It's <laughs> one person that's leading the charge. Are we not telling them that because we don't want them to know that? <laughs> that they have or Correct. that's always been the case with your kids you know until they, they never realized that they never needed it to listen to you until <laughs> one day and then you're like oh well i kept the sham up for that long nathan right? and brady don't listen to this this podcast yeah. even's lying he's he's not he's not telling the truth right now <laughs> so because the world is so different um they were they've only ever lived in this world like this so they actually are the the generation that is most geared to navigate it we have to unlearn some things relearn some things and learn some new things where they've only ever lived like this. So they happen to be the super users and experts right out of the box. That's their, that's their default setting. And so, you know, for some of us, we're still navigating, we're still debating certain things and they're like, they've moved on. Right? <laughs> right. For them, it's like not even a question. And that, that brings into question our relevance to them. And, you know, that's one of the, one of the, the things I write about as well is just how relevant are we to them? <laughs> I hope we can be, but yeah, that pace of life, it's just, it, it's speeding up. So, so, so quick. Uh, one of the other truths that I was intrigued by is Gen Z is used to being the CEO of their life. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I heard this the other day that 72, it might've even been from your book, 72% of high school students growing up want to be uh, entrepreneurs. And, and so does that, does that, is that kind of the same type of thing or, or talk to us about what does it look like for being the CEO of their own life and why Gen Z wants this? Yeah. So, so that data point is one I, I reference, and, and that's the journey of just Gen Z trying to self-determine their future because they understand future proofing is really hard at this point, but the, you know, the CEO of their own life is really this and it's, and, and it's a sad statement on us as a human race. And this is why we so need, Jesus in our lives. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. Um, where we've moved, we've moved to a place of celebrating self to such a degree that where we are now is we are so siloed and so vertically um, integrated that everything is around serving me, right? And so when you're born right now, um, 
and this is not strange, right? Because until you can walk and feed yourself and those kind of things, parents are there to serve you, as it were, to make sure you don't die. And so, but that continuum has continued, right? Through school, what would you like to learn? When would you like to learn it? Netflix, Uber, all these things. At what point would you like to do this? What point you go to university? Well, what, my son, what, what classes are you taking this? I'm taking this, this, and this. Why those? Oh, because they start at 12 o'clock and they're over by two o'clock. What is that class? I don't even know, right? Why? Because I'm the CEO and I'm going to decide how I want to live my life, even at university. Then, you know, what would you like to write your thesis on? Then they arrive. So basically, everything is geared towards, well, how can we serve you today? And while that's not good or bad, it just is. Actually, there is some bad to it from that perspective. Um, We've all grown up like that. Now you go through COVID and it truly just amplifies that. Just look around, stand in a line somewhere and listen to somebody. uh, Look how people drive when you're in, in a queue somewhere and somebody doesn't get what they want, look how they behave. It's like, this is unacceptable. What? What is unacceptable? That I've waited two minutes for my coffee. Is that truly unacceptable? So I'm just saying that what we, what's evidenced right now is that um, being a CEO of your own life, everything going according to plan is awesome. When it doesn't go according to plan, it's chaos. Mm. Like, what do you mean this airplane is late? What do you mean that there's ice and we can't take off? Like that is unacceptable, (laughs) right? Whatever, right? I'm just being silly, but so. I feel like that's pretty much every air, air flight I've had this year is there's, and it, it, I think it's unacceptable, but whatever. Yeah, it's not. And so what you've got is you've got this mindset of self. You've got this mindset of, um, and it's, it goes back to gratitude. There's actually four, um, there's four muscles that are really poorly developed in this generation. And they developed in this generation because the way the world is right now, it doesn't require these muscles to be used very often. But yet these muscles are core to us being future-proof and successful. And gratitude happens to be one of those. Hmm. And when you're the CEO of your own life, gratitude is in short supply because you're just used to, generally speaking, everything happening when you want it, how you want it. I, I, I just was speaking to an employee who um, I've moved into a fractional space as opposed to full-time space. Why? Because um, the person wants to, and in marketing, only work on photos and video. And I'm like, marketing's a whole lot bigger than that. When you signed up for this position, they were, yeah, I know, but you know what? That's really all I want to do. I'm like, okay. And in addition to that, I honestly work best like, I like to get home at, you know, at like three and then go for a run. And I want to like, then I wa- watch some shows and like at nine, 10 o'clock, I start to work at night. And I'm um, like, why can't I? Um, and what is born? The fractional economy. But the point is, as if you see of your own life, well, why can't you? You've done that your entire life. Now you get then the boss says, sit here from eight until four. And you're like, why? But why do I need to do that, right? So that's the premise of the CEO of their own life. And when you understand that mindset, it's easier to come alongside them to help them navigate a transition to you do, while a lot of that's true and can be celebrated, you also live in a world of other humans. And so there's that whole confluence of like all these other humans, 8 million of them, 8 billion of them, sorry, that we've got to get along with. And, And while there's some value to what you're saying, that in itself on its own isn't accurate right it isn't yeah yeah Uh, the one more that i that i want to look at and i think you brought this up earlier with like the are we relevant 
us older generations. So th this is the truth Then your words. Gen Z is the first generation mentored primarily by their peers. Yeah. And so I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, am I relevant? Um, and maybe, maybe not, but like as much as I love Gen Z, uh, I know enough to, and I'm mature enough, maybe in my old age of 40 to know that I need, I need some wisdom from the older, older people still. And so what, talk to me about what Gen Z is being the first generation mentored primarily by their peers means. Okay. So I'm going to give you a quick answer and then I'm going to tell you two things that cover all three points that you brought up. Um, for the first time in recorded human history, I have access to every song ever sung. That's never happened before. Mm -hmm. The ones I love, the ones I hate. <laughs> I also have access to all documented and non-redacted information in the world, <laughs> right, at, the, at my fingertips. So now you look at this, okay? And what I've always, meaning millennials and older, have always needed the older generation for is a pass down of legacy wisdom and knowledge. It's called Sage on Stage. Sage on Stage was born out of the second industrial revolution. We're now in the fourth industrial revolution, right? And what did the fourth industrial revolution bring? It brought this. And information is no longer the commodity that is important wow. because it's ubiquitous. Yeah. It is everywhere. What information I want, I have. So what comes with that? I had I have information. If I want anything, who's the first person I'm going to turn to? The people, my peers. And now I have a global peer group, not just the person who stays next door or the person that I share my classroom with at school, right? Because I'm connecting already through all of the avenues globally with people. Not only do I prefer to connect to them, they get me. The older people just don't, right? And they always say things like this while shaking a finger. When I was your age, right? like who, who wants that? Right? Right. No generation has ever loved that. And so what you've got, while every generation has always been peer-driven, always, I mean, that's not nothing new, right? Never to the degree that we see now and almost entirely to the exclusion of the older generations, which is something that we have to rarely navigate. Mm -hmm. So here's why corporates are starting to recognize part of the message that we share, and they're starting to catch that um, how important this conversation is. So where does this change? It changes where you have, once you've come through this filter into someone's curated stream, what they do is they give you permission to speak into their life, right? That's why it's important to go through that process. Once they've given you permission, what ends up happening is you have them the opportunity to come alongside them. And what you do is you bring application mm. to their knowledge. That is what they're lacking, but they don't know that they're lacking it, right? So you bring application and all of a sudden, what have you brought? You brought value. Okay, now I have a purpose for you. Mm. I see why you mean something to me other than shaking a finger and telling me stuff that I don't want to hear. Not being really serious. Yeah. That's how you bridge this generation gap. And it's the only way. It doesn't work the other way. So it used to be called Sage on Stage, and now it's called GPS, a guide positioned by the side. Sage on Stage is valuable for one thing only. Skill acquisition. Okay. A coach, not a mentor, a coach tells you what to do, how to do it. That's it. If I'm going to learn to be a brain surgeon, I don't want to like, well, where do you think you should put the scalpel? No, put it right here, right? <laughs> That's the only time 
and and there's a place for it that sos sage on stage i have all the knowledge let me tell you what to do works the gps the guide position by the side which is kind of the mentor um is like let's think of the different ways you want to get there that is the way right now that is producing the most fruit and it actually always has it's always been the best form of leadership it just takes a lot more effort so the two things i wanted to tell you was this and it applies to what we just spoke about the first thing is is that the world has changed and this is how it's changed ceos why because we now live in a place of access of ownership now let me tell you what that means if you don't know it means we live in a space where subscription model is the way, the only way we all live, and it impacts every part of our life. If you look at what we used to own, including records, CDs, VHS tapes, all the things that came out of Disney's vault for only a month and we bought it, right, whatever, right? We don't own anything now. But as a result, what we have is we have a light switch. I, I, I subscribe, I unsubscribe. Right. So that changes everybody's mindset. Now, remember, Gen Z has only ever lived in a time where it's been access over ownership. So they've only ever, I want it, I don't want it. I want it, I don't want it. They have never been on a process journey. They've never had to. Right. So that changes relationships. That changes where you work. It changes. Look at our athletes. I play for this team. Now I play for this team. Look at CEOs. I run this company. Now I run this company. Look at parents. I'm married. Now I'm, I'm divorced. So everything they've ever seen is access of ownership. That's why the world has changed. And that's why they're CEOs of their own lives. I'm turning it on. I'm turning it off. And look around. Everything is there and going in that direction. And then the second part is what I've just explained is information over understanding. So those are two things. And we actually live in a place of fear over faith as well. I want to unpack that one right now. But information over understanding is this. I have information. I just don't have application. But I don't recognize I don't have the application, which is where the older generation comes in and is so valuable. Such an opportunity for us to bring value to a generation that desperately needs us and will be so much better with us than without us. That is so good. So I think that that's really well articulated that I think the best from, from what you're just saying, the best thing that I could provide or you could provide to someone who's Gen Z or younger is maybe not as much information. They, they get that everywhere, but application help you help you understand what all information it means. And what do I do with that? And the more we posture ourselves like that, um, totally. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the downside right. is if, if they're mentored only by their peers, like, and that's the norm, like we've got to, we've got to get on this <laughs> or that will just be what I've seen about the Gen Z is they're going to do it with or without us. So like, yes. let's, let's admit that the ways of the past won't work and we need to do this and, and, and film that or uh, really get that application side, man, you yeah. got my mind going in a lot of ways with the access and the subscription stuff. And yeah. Even even how we do churches. I have not heard yet of a church that offers a subscription model, nor am I saying that's the way to go, but I don't know that it's not. And I don't know what that looks like, but like my mind's just boom, 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 boom on what yeah. that means <laughs> to subscribe, yeah. you know, at, to a church uh, or to a ministry. And, and, oh man, so that's, that's, the, that's just so much good. There. And it's not always a literal subscription, right? But it's a, right. and it's a choice. And honestly, it's the way to go. And when you're thinking about subscription based content, I'm not saying be all seeker friendly and, and sugar. No, 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 no. I'm saying be real, be deep and have content that's compelling because look at what you're going against. Right. And what we're trying to do is win over generations so they can encounter the kingdom. If yeah. we're not winning them over, they'll never encounter the kingdom. Right. Yeah. So 
get them and then let them see what the kingdom is about. And I'm not suggesting that's a strategy, but it's a, it's not the strategy, it's a strategy. And that is honestly what I can tell you the churches that are going to be successful at reaching, here's what we're talking about, recruitment and retention in the business. That's what I do. I work with companies about how to retain and recruit and show them that journey. How the, the churches that understand this kind of access of ownership, the eight-second filter, they can start to position themselves a little bit more in that way. And the fruit, dramatically better. Incredible. It's cool. Yeah, I'm even thinking from a preaching standpoint, uh, you know, in our sermons, application. Like, there's got to be application. Uh, there's got we, to be. We want to give that information from the Bible and give that understanding there but there's got to be some sort of application um in in, and that's not just with gen z that's with with everybody yeah as as you review kind of your your work and your own like practical experience and of course writing this and as you look at it from a lens of uh someone who cares about jesus and and uh, disciples uh, what does gen z need most from those of us who uh, i learned in the last episode um that are older are called chronologically superior. <laughs> so what does Gen Z need most from those of us who are older? Yeah. Well, the, the truth is um, in a secular context, they need application in, in, in a godly context or a Christian context. They need relationship and trust. If you think about what, what we look, what they see when they look around at parents and at faith-based organizations, Look at mainstream media and the story, the narrative is brutal. Who would want to be part of anything like that? Like who, right? And so the only way that you bridge that gap um, is through relationship and trust. Mm. And when it's a peer-to-peer generation, building relationship is really difficult. And so from an older generation's perspective, what they really need from us is they need relationship trust in order that they can get application not only application on how to do things but how to live life because when i was 20 i knew everything when i was 30 i realized i didn't know everything when i was 20 but now i do know everything and it turns out that i still don't know everything it's called the dunning kruger effect by the way and um and and so that's what gen z needs they need somebody who's going to understand that the world's not going backwards it's only going forwards and is going to embrace it i have a picture i should i'll send it to you of probably i think it's three or four must be 70 or 80 year old guys that are gamers playing computer games and they're like like, it's just a it's a great picture they've immediately got street cred with the next generation right and that that being credible is a really important social cue that all of us have, right? And so that's what's needed. Um, but honestly, we, we need to be able to come alongside this generation really, really, really quickly. They need us so desperately. And it is our calling for a time such as this yeah, come, on. come alongside this generation when they most, most need us to put aside our agenda checkpoints of like, this is what I'm looking for at church and recognize that for a time such as this, have we been grown, cultivated and pruned so that we can pour into this generation to see them bubble up into who they're supposed to be because it's truly going to be magnificent. Mm, love it. All right, man, we ask every guest this, this question on the way out. Uh, it's a podcast ultimately to challenge our listeners to be greater disciples. So if practically they can do one thing this week to grow as a greater disciple of Jesus, what would you have them do this week? So it's a part A and part B. Is that okay? 
Yeah. <laughs> we have so many tickets, so many different ways, but that's what I love. It's like everyone's wired different. So yeah, well, give me, give me, give me part A and part B. So the amazing thing is I, I, I've been really fortunate to speak as a keynote in a bunch of places. And every time post post speech, people come and ask me questions. It's always about their family, their children, right? Amazing. Yeah. When I get into a corporate setting, the questions are always after the fact about their own children. But what's so amazing is this, the most pivotal things that we've been able, able to implement in, in our own business, which we do incredibly every year and where, where we do corporate training is, I don't want to say the word, but I'm going to say the word because it's not this, my definition is slightly different, but it's a mentorship program. And so here's what has to happen. My challenge is this. If you are brave enough to recognize that you have some incredible skills, the incredible giftings that have been refined and defined in your life, that you could find one person to come alongside, build relationship with, and pour into the life in just that one area, that is life-changing, not only for them, but for you. Part B is this. If you're brave enough to do that and recognize that you also have some blind spots, <laughs> And very few people will be brave and honest enough to tell you. But if you are brave enough to say to someone, I want to get better, would you walk alongside me and mentor me? Mm -hmm. I promise you that is a journey that you'll never look back from. And my challenge would be to find one person to mentor you. And I can help you figure that out, by the way. We've got like this assessment that helps you figure out your strengths and your weaknesses. And there's a way that you can ask somebody to be your mentor. And it doesn't have to be for a lifetime. It can be for a month. But that journey will change the way you look at everything in your own life and everything in the life of someone that you're mentoring. My point is this. If you're going to pour into someone's life, you're planting some incredible seed. The seed comes back as a harvest and you always get more than you planted. And where you'll get that is when you allow someone to mentor you, come into your life and speak, come alongside, speak godly wisdom and truly care about where you're going to go next and be part of holding you. Here's the key. Accountable on your journey. Love it. I mean, Stephen, that kind of sounds like discipleship. <laughs> exactly. Exactly what this whole thing's about, man. So I love that challenge. Listeners, if you take that on, hashtag red letter disciple, if you're going to get into a mentoring relationship, either to be mentored or to mentor somebody else, uh, let's do this and let's let's get more into the lives, more intentional uh, lives of others and, and the world's going to be a better place when we do. So Stephen, my man, thank you so much for dropping some knowledge and helping us see things in, in new lights and, and uh, just for the unique unique man that you are and pray that as you go unemployed in the next week that it would be like awesome for you <laughs> as, right. as you taking taking you on your next journey so thank you all right well we are now two weeks into our four-week mini series on season five all about how to disciple gen z i told you steven was an expert but I really just love his heart to reach the next generation and the wisdom that he dropped. And we're praying that Stephen in this next season is going to go where God leads him. So, hey, if you want the show notes or to connect to Stephen, his book, or even our sponsor today, go to redletterpodcast.com. That's, again, where you can grab the link to the free Red Letter Challenge assessment that will help you be a greater disciple of Jesus. That's redletterpodcast.com. 
Next week, I'm welcoming Pastor Jim Kyles onto the show. And don't worry, Chris will be back too. Pastor Jim asked the question, what happens when a church prays for an entire generation? And then what Jim did was he just committed to pray. He launched the movement 70 Days of Prayer for Gen Z. You can find it at PrayForGenZ.com, which at the time of this recording, they went past the 70 days and they're still praying every day for Gen Z. When I'm recording this intro, more than 120 days in now. So I'll talk to him about what he's learned, what God has taught him, and we'll talk about the power of prayer for this next generation. You will not want to miss it. And So how do you not miss it? You subscribe or follow on whatever platform you listen to. Or did you know, my personal fave, you can watch on YouTube as well. And of course, follow us there. And, and if you could, while you're pressing the follow button, also hit the five-star rating for us. That'd mean the world to us. So we'll see you back next week for the next episode of The Red Letter Disciple. A Huda Media Production.